Welcome to a classic big interview. This is where we dig into the vaults and choose an episode from earlier in our shows. This time, we've gone all the way back to season 2018-19 and opted for one of our and your absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Do enjoy. It's been a long-standing ambition of mine to unite the two world superpowers of football, Scotland and Uruguay. Same um, population base and really very nearly the same number of World Cups won. And therefore, when Scotland and Uruguay came together, it had to be me and Gustavo Poyet. Because of his basketball background and the background of his father, double Olympian for Uruguay at basketball, Gustavo Poet was able to, for example, explain exactly why he jumped so high for Zaragoza and Chelsea and Spurs, and why goalkeepers always launched the ball at him. The Copa America 1995, and remember, this is a Copa America summer, was perhaps the second greatest moment in Uruguay's history, after the Maracanazo when, in 1950, Uruguay, or was it Scotland, beat Brazil in the World Cup final 1-0 at the Maracanã, but to come forward to the Copa America, their version of the European Championships, and win against world champions, Brazil, in Montevideo. Well, if you're listening, Gus will take up the rest of the story. And do you remember Paris in 1995? Do you remember Arsenal? Seaman, Keown, Naim? Yes, Naim, from the halfway line. How did that goal go in? And could any of his teammates from Zaragoza reproduce it a couple of days later when they sobered up back in Zaragoza? This is Gus Poet, friend, Uruguayan leader, jumper, phenomenal talker, one of the best big interviews you'll ever hear. Stay tuned. Welcome, Gus, Gustavo. Before I even go to the mechanics of a game, and before we even tried to explain to English speakers what llegada means, because you had llegada, and I'm very glad that you arrived here today, I want to touch on the fact that you, your country, your compatriots, do have something special, that it is not a fluke that a country so small in population can not only produce consistently really special international teams, but when you take a Uruguayan of nearly any quality from good up to great and put them in a team, special things happen. You're a Montevidean. Yeah. Let them well explain it to me. What, what's going on? I, I think we, we need to start from something that only a few people know all over the world. And uh, funny enough, I've I done a presentation on my uh, FA course here on the Pro Licence uh, about us. We've got an organization in Uruguay. Uruguay is very small. Everybody knows that. We are only three and a half million. But we've got an organization called ONFI, which is the organization of uh, football for kids, which uh, they play from the age the five to 12 all over the country. They are all registering one organization. Okay, In every single neighborhood, there is a team of and the five and the six and the seven and the eight and the nine and the ten and the yeah and they compete in areas and then they compete in the cities and then they compete against other cities all over the country okay 
Now, we've been trying to control that because it became, at very early ages, madness. I mean, <laughs> pressure. You have to win, which is not right for a kid of seven or eight. And I understand that, and I totally agree that that is not right. But we do compete. And we do compete on the basis of uh, things that maybe nowadays uh, it would be crazy to say to a kid. Like my father said to me when I was nine, I was playing a game against the Argentinians, and he said, uh, here in Uruguay, we don't lose against the Argentinians. And he meant it. He said, uh, he completed the sentence saying, you can go and sleep in your uncle's house today if you lose against the Argentinians. <laughs> now, somehow, you win that game. Call it whatever. <laughs> Call it you were better, and you're lucky, and you're better, and you win, but you, you already start thinking, everything I've done before the game, my contract is in the drawer. Finish. My, uh, whatever it is that you can think, my ego, my uh, appearance, is gone. It's very rare to find a Uruguayan player which is looking too much about himself. I don't know if you find one. You know, like uh, he has to have this hairstyle or this cut or this tattoo and show this um, car. We are not that kind of people. I'm talking about the majority, can be one. We are more the ones that we just go, want to go to the top, sign a good contract. Like I said, put it there, sideways, and now defend your team to the maximum possible, sometimes we pass that line as well, that's why you are right in saying that one Uruguayan, whatever level it is, in your team, will always give you something extra. He will always try to give to that club, which is part of his life, something that maybe others don't understand like that football. Do you think that um, you can teach that in other countries where it's been lost? Can you reintroduce it? Because it feels to me that that is a precious commodity that because of uh, kids maybe having a little bit more wealth or being spoiled or televisions or computers or social media, whatever it is, it feels to me that once that's gone, it, it, in a culture, it's, it's gone forever. Well, I, I think because uh, another thing that we always say in Uruguay, in Uruguay things happen always 20 years later, or 10 years later. So we're still a little bit behind on all that which means that you can still go into your world and finding that player, that even if he's not the best assumption, he's going to incredibly give you something different to the rest. Because I'm seeing it week in, week out now with the players in Uruguay, that they're living at, at the age of 19, 20, going to another country and becoming really important. The Rascaeta, he went to Crusader in Brazil, now he's going to Flamengo. It, it looked like it. Everybody wants to buy him because he's bringing something different. And it's small, technically good, it's a number 10. But still, having that attitude of... It's like if, if we are losing, we are better. Because it hurts so much. It's a stimulus. Yes, it's like, now I'm losing. No, no, this is impossible. I cannot accept this. And then you go to another level. Sometimes we even say, why well, we don't start the game like that? And I think when the national team is together, we do. Because we are, like, together. Now, sometimes in clubs you get used to the week, no? Week, the nice life, uh, your teammates, and, and then you start the game naturally. But then something happens and you can see the goal in it like uh, the Uruguayan chip is coming and. Somebody talks to you, somebody leaves a boot so, in your ankle, yeah. you go 1 0 down and then. Bang! But it's incredible. And, it, and you can see everywhere. If you see the reaction of those players, you know, I'm, I'm, you, say, you name names, 
Suarez is very well known worldwide, but Godin. You look in a game of Atletico Madrid and they are losing or they are nil-nil and it's a corner and you know that he's going to head it. And I think the position knows as well. So stop him. And somehow he gets between three and he headed and he get it. And those situations are the ones that that why we, when we get to that level, I hope Jimenez follows the steps of Godin and, and the Suarez and the Cavani and the you know, Forlan, who we say that Diego Forlan, after his passing in Man United, will be golden boot in Europe and the best player of the World Cup in 2010. All those things made us special. Was there room in Uruguay to see Jimenez crying his eyes out during the end of the France game in the World Cup, or would that be regarded as wrong or soft or not the Uruguayan culture? Because in the World Cup, when the game is gone and he's playing at the back and there's five, four or five minutes left... He's already broken because the worst thing that can happen with Cavani out injured is that France have won and Uruguay are going out. And it, it was an iconic moment. And iconic moments like that where sports people, men or women at the elite level, betray their true feelings mm-hmm. are, are beautiful. And, and by definition, they're true. But is there, is there room in, our, in Uruguayan sports culture to allow a man to look like that? I, I, I think we know uh, that he's probably feeling... Maybe I lost my chance. I don't know if it's going to happen again. I don't know if I'm going to play another World Cup. This was my World Cup. And we were there competing with the champion no? at the end. So uh, he gives everything you know, to a point that he's so exhausted that when he finishes and he's out, he cannot contain the emotions. And, and I think it's natural. I think, I think it defines us. It's another image that I don't know if you, if you see, it, which is incredible. Rodriguez uh, is, in, is in a qualification for the World Cup. I think it's the, the game that you play, the playoff, yeah. the fifth of South America. I think we play Central America. And uh, you get a concussion, a really bad concussion. And it's coming out. But slowly it starts recovering. Uh, and the doctors already made the decision to change him. And he goes crazy. And there's no way you can get him out of the pitch. He start pushing the doctor, he start pushing everybody, he's telling the coach, no, I'm playing. Because we think that um, if, if we give you that little advantage, yeah, to that left back which is on the bench, and he's coming on, and he does better than me, I'm not going to the World Cup, I'm not giving you nothing. You need to take him out, you know, like a prison to get out of the pitch. Uh, and it was wrong because maybe he had a concussion. Yep. You know how dangerous they are. But at the end of the day, he was showing that even when we are not perfectly right, we still wanted to be on the pitch and to be you know, in a position where we cannot lose it. Because if we lose it, we lose part of our life. Did you have an advantage that you grew up with that teaching, that culture in, in soccer, but you... You, you had an Olympian father. Yeah, you my know, father who was player. elite, elite. I, I tell you, 1960 was, Olympics, right? Yeah, it was better than me. Uh, I think that uh, until I didn't, I, I would say until I didn't win the Copa America '95, or until I didn't play regularly at Chelsea and Spurs, people never put me up on a level with my father. It was impossible because he was always. Hey, your father played seven, I don't know how many World Cups, two Olympian games. He won five, uh, you know, championships in a row in, in Uruguay with Tabaré and a team from basketball in there. So he was really, he was captain of the national team. So he was really someone special. 
but the funny part is that my, my father played basketball by accident because he loved football. He wanted to be a football player. And one day with a few friends, they went past outside this basketball court and they decided to have a go and they liked it and they started playing a little bit more and then my father was big and then Uruguay and big, proper boom, yeah, strong and he became the player, no? the representative of what Uruguay is and obviously was at that time, you know, going in Olympic Games playing against the Russians where the Russian guy was uh, 2 meters 13 and my father was 195 or 196, the tallest in Uruguay. And he was marking this huge uh, player and he had to look and find a way to stop him. To compete. But that's us. We have to find a way. We cannot accept defeat because you are better than me. We cannot accept defeat because you are bigger than me. We cannot accept defeat because you are quicker than me. What kind of surfaces did you play oh. on? Beautiful grass, like no. Wembley, the whole... No. No? No. You don't imagine. I, I was, I, it was even a moment that I, it was... You know, when you start playing at a better level, that to show goals to people from my time in Uruguay, it was like saying, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Look at the pitch. <laughs> well, it was no grass in there. It was... Uh, yes. And uh, that, that, for example, me, that uh, I was a slow. I was a slow player, no, in terms of speed. So... Um, because of that, naturally, I, I understood that I needed to do things quicker, mentally. Mm. Because if no, if I would wait, stop the ball, look, too late, five minutes, it's gone. So I needed to be, I needed to be ready, I needed to be ready to hit one touch with any part of the, the foot, the right foot, left foot, inside, outside. So I improved technically. What do you find out about your mind? I suffered a lot. I was a mm, few times nearly out of football, you know. Uh, I, I went to France. I finished in a second division team, Grenoble, in the middle of the yeah. Alps. Yeah. Uh, I didn't play well. I didn't adapt well. It was difficult for me coming from Uruguay, even to the pitches. Mm -hmm. So fast, so quick. We were playing Saturday night. It was always a little bit wet. And I'm thinking, what happened here? <laughs> and uh, the second year... The president wanted everybody out, and they wanted me out, and I was Uruguayan. I'm saying, I'm not leaving, I'm staying here, I'm my contract. And then I had to leave at the end, and I was like six, seven months without playing football at the age of 21, 22. Wow. And you're thinking, I. So then I was a little bit lucky that you need, all the time you need. If you don't have luck, you know, the right moment at the right time. They took me to Zaragoza a coach from Uruguay with a player who was a star, Uruguayan, Suarez. And I started learning other things. Like you're saying, working on my brain, okay, I cannot play a front here because I was playing a front when I was young. I need to play backwards. I need to improve my fitness. I need to start understanding to play, you know, looking forward. I was playing back to goal, uh, arriving. We're going to talk about Chigada. La Llegada. Uh, the timing, but the timing I had it because of my, my style of playing. But so many things that took me a year. And at the end of that year, I scored two goals in a playoff to go down. And kind of people say, okay, well, this guy maybe. You know, it's cheap. Let's keep him. And I started growing up. As a, I had a role in that Zaragoza. I had a, 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 a position on the pitch that I needed to do certain things. You know, for example, I, I, it's nice to meet you here, you know, teammates from that time saying, when we have a goal kick, we knew that that goal will go to gas and he will jump and kill himself to flick it 
And he will flick, eh? So the other ones, they knew he would win, eh? And they will run behind, blah, 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 blah. And I had a role, the same role, like arriving late, scoring more than 10 goals per season without taking penalties, and blah, blah, blah. So you got a role inside your team. But before we go, Mario, yeah. before we go to Roma Reda and Zaragoza, for people in this country, you maybe could compare to Leeds. They need to be up. They need to yeah. be in the Primera, both of them. I need to hold you back to exactly that, the jump. Was it natural that you and your dad and I don't know the rest yeah. of the family had the jump? Yeah. Did you? You're tall, but tall men don't always jump well because if you're tall, no, no, but, you don't but, have to learn. I, I, I know where you're coming from, and I tell you exactly why. Basketball is basketball. I played basketball when I was young, and that's the I don't know how you call it in England the double rhythm. Double uh, we call it one two three. You know, like you do one two bop. Now that, that so, action in basketball where you had those two steps before putting the ball next to the to the basket. Uh, that's the same kind of action that you need to do to jump in a certain when you jump with one leg. No, obviously that's a tiny so, thing. That's so because no, yeah. no, we have um, listeners in China and in the States and mm. in South America and in South Africa, but the majority will be in Britain and Ireland. And, and basketball is known here, but it's not so big. So describe the one, two, three leap. Well, it's, tell it's, us what uh, you mean. I think I think when when you start playing basketball, okay, first thing you do, you try to play with the ball, no basket to, to, to bounce dribble. it and to dribble and to cover it and plenty of things. But as soon as you start doing something in front of the basket, it's not just to throw from 10 meters, no. It's about an action that you're running into the basket without position, yeah? And there is a moment that you can hold the ball in your hand and, and, and make two steps, you know, one, two, and jump with the knee that you made the first step a little bit high, you just place it. It's a... It's a um, in Spanish, it's double ritmo. So it would be du- double rhythm. It's like a double, no? One, two, and up. I think we call it the layup in I The layup, but you have to make two steps. Eh? Yeah. It's you cannot, one, two, high. So you make the step with your right when you're going to jump with your left. Okay? It's more natural when you're a right-footed to jump with your left. Uh, and, and that's something to really go the highest you can be. It's a little bit of an impulse to go high. I want to drag you then a little bit sideways because yeah. when all of this was conditioning you, and you've already mentioned this event. One of the things that should be the sweetest in your career, I'm not saying it's bitter, but, you know, the Maracanazo yeah. is Uruguay doing all the Uruguayan things against Brazil in 1950 mm-hmm. at the Maracana and winning the World Cup final. So to repeat that in 95 against a Brazil who I think were reigning world champions from the USA in 94, the year before... For me, you're in that team, you win it, you do it in front of you, it, it finishes Montevideo, you know, you could practically see your home from the stadium, but it, it wasn't a beautiful experience for you, if I understand correctly, because you had to alter everything you did and wanted to do, because there was a, there was a for good or bad, there was a closed mind from the coach about how Uruguay played then. And it, was a, it wasn't a completely satisfactory winning the Copa America. I have, look, I, I'm so pleased that we won it because the pressure was incredible. I mean, uh, as, a, as a, an information to the people that are listening, the Copa America and Euro in South America, it was playing until 1970-something, a home and away, like qualifications until the final. And in 78 or, no, 80-something, they started playing in one country, like the European Cup. Like the, the champ- European Championships. Um, 
And that 95, it was the first time that I was playing in Uruguay. Now, incredibly, Uruguay, Uruguay until then never ever lost a game of Copa America at home. Either won or drew. And now we had to play the whole Copa America at home. So it was not only a matter of winning it, not losing a game, because your name is going to be there in the whole century. Uruguay never lost at home in the Copa America. So I remember going to the third game where the manager made four or five changes because we were qualified already to the, to the last eight. And, and the players that were playing were thinking, you know, saying, thank you. Now we're playing, we didn't play, and we got the responsibility of not losing. It's on me now. It's on me now. <laughs> Luckily we didn't, we, we drew that game. Um, I only enjoy it, and going back to the question, I, I only enjoy the semi-final against Colombia because I play a little bit further up on the pitch. Uh, what I was used in, uh, in Zaragoza at that time, it was a player with the freedom uh, in a team that was controlling games to go and, uh, and attack the box most of the time. Okay? I was a very offensive midfielder, we can call it. And I went to Uruguay because the manager that uh, unfortunately is not with us anymore, uh, Eton Núñez, it, he, he went to Zaragoza to convince me to go and play in a three-in-the-middle defensive-minded. That's it, you know? And, and I was a little bit, you know, talking to him, saying, I, I don't know if I can do it. And he was so convinced. Don't know if I can do it or don't know if I want to do it. Same thing or different I, I, I think, things? I think it was a can because I, I don't think I was a player that was able to, to really go into the pitch thinking, okay, I'm going to defend today. You were, ta- you were taking away from me uh, my youth when I was a number nine or my career as a football player, which I was an offensive midfielder arriving in the box. So uh, for, I, I didn't have too many chances during the Copa America to get into the box like we want to talk later on. Uh, you know, to arrive late, to have that timing. And that game against Colombia was special because Fonseca, one of the strikers, was injured. And the manager decided to put another midfielder behind me and put me a little bit higher with Francescoli and leave uh, the striker up front. So I had a little bit of freedom. I had a little bit of participation. I was getting in the box. I got involved in the second goal. I was inside the box and the ball went over me in the first goal. So I was where I wanted to be. Saying that, Moment of the Copa America is uh, final is finished. We are one one against Brazil. We're going to penalties. We are at home, and uh, the assistant manager comes to me and look at me and say, "You are the six. <laughs> and that moment you go, "All right, six. No bad. You know that I was not penalty taker. I had to be honest. I'm honest. I was not the kind of player that would be in a position where if you give me 10, I would say, yeah, I score 8. No. Because it was not my quality. If people that got the quality to be penalty takers and people that they cannot take penalty. It was not afraid. I took with the national team in Uruguay in the young, in a tournament in Qatar. I took in River in my country. I took a, a few penalty shootouts, but I was not a natural penalty taker. Now, you know what's happening. You know? Goal, goal, goal. Goal. And when they started scoring, you're thinking, oh, it's going to come to me. Francesco Roberto Carlos, Bengochea, Zinho, Herrera, Tulio misses. That's the moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> listen, well, t- sorry, Gus, Tulio Tulio's a regular yeah. listener. Listen, man, I'm sorry. I warned you not to listen to this episode, okay? <laughs> He's, uh, 
Uh, I, was, I tell you, when uh, then Gutierrez scored the fourth, uh, Dunga scored for Brazil, and then uh, Manteca Martinez, which was a penalty taker. Uh, I, I always say that I, I think I was more nervous than Martinez, who was taking the penalty. <laughs> <laughs> he was used to take penalties. I was in the middle of the party thinking, please don't. You know, because also, imagine that he was taking the penalty to win. But then if it was my turn at the end, if Brazil scored the six, I'm taking the penalty not to lose. Not to lose. Which is totally different, okay? Uh, and when he scored, it was... Uh, what a moment, like you say, Copa America at home. Yes, I supported my teams like, you know, Zaragoza, Chelsea, Spurs, uh, Grenoble, River in Uruguay, my team. When you are in, you, you really support that team. But, but when it's your country, involve other things, you know? I, I got friends who, they, they told me later on, no, you know, they tell you, you know how nice it was for me to go to work next day? You know, my friend won the Copa America yesterday. And we are all celebrating because, my, and they were feeling really proud. When it's family and friends, is something really special. It was, uh, it was incredible. Because it's a gift being given to you to make them feel like that. I tell you, we, we don't know how lucky we are. And, and you don't realize sometimes, unfortunately, until you win, you win things. Mm -hmm. It happened to me in Zaragoza, luckily, and at Chelsea, but in Uruguay as well. People, when they... I'm making it in Uruguay, clearly, you know, a country that we always suffer. That night, there were no health problems, there were no financial problems, there were no work issues, there were no family problems. Everything is gone. The only thing is that there is people celebrating in the streets, going mad, being Uruguayans, you know, feeling what we feel when we are in there. And that makes football something very special. That sometimes we don't give in the, the special treatment because it brings people together. And that celebration in Uruguay, I can tell you, was spectacular. I don't know. Find itself in Paris against the mighty Arsenal. We, we, didn't, we didn't prepare ourselves for that. We played the first game, Gloria Bistrita in Romania, wherever it was, and we're Did thinking, you, okay, it's Europe. You got some goals there, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's Korea. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then we get through, and then you're thinking, okay. And then when it came to Feyenoord, quarterfinals, we realized that we were at the highest level because when we play away in Holland at Feyenoord, and it was amazing there. Yeah. And we played an outstanding game and we lost 1-0. Larson. Henry Larson. Larson. Yeah. And then you realise, OK, if we turn this around, who knows? And then Chelsea. OK, not Chelsea Abramovich, but Chelsea with uh, Glenn Hoddle and... Mighty and Scott Minto. Yes, yeah, Scott Minto. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and then, yes, we got there. Uh, like any final... You think about winning, you know that you're playing against the current champions because Arsenal was uh, the champions the year before. And, uh, but we play, the, we play our game. The Arsenal try to stop us from playing our game. For 10 minutes, 15 minutes, they kick us and they foul us and they, they can, do other things. Can I cheat? Because yeah. quite recently we had an interview with a 
former Everton and Sunderland midfielder, Don Hutchison. And he gave us one of the most <clears throat> pungent descriptions of Martin Keown I've ever heard in my life. When you talk about Arsenal kicking and, and punching and whatever, um, the team was Seaman, Dixon, Winterburn, Keown, Adams, Stephen Schwartz, Ray Parler, Ian Wright, John Hartson, Paul Merson, Andy Linnigan. Hartson booked in two minutes. Yes. Um, Terrible tagging on Naeem. It was a bad Ex- one. Spurs, no, probably was something there. <laughs> Did, didn't really seem to stop Naeem in any way. Talk about the, the physical side of that first part of the game as Arsenal tried to say, are you up for this? Well, was, was Keon involved? What? Yes, well, it was, it was incredible. It was an action. And, and I remember when I was involved, I, I went to jump and these two Arsenal players, I think it's Keon and Parlo, they come in both. You know when you jump... Sandwich. To, to win a ball and to clash. And they pull out in the last second and they hit each other and one got a cut. I mean, it's there, it's in the, in the, in the highlights of the game because the, the first four or five actions is, uh, is that. Um, we didn't think about that, funny enough, before the game. We were so convinced in our game that we went in uh, to play and then one and then two and then boom and then jump. And um, Snyder fighting with Adams. I, Snyder said it so many times. He tried everything to get Adams out of the game. And he couldn't. He got, Tony Adams got his neighbor after the game <laughs> because he kept clashing, you know, like it was no pain. We were a special group. We were, we were good personalities. We had the character. We had, the, we had something special in there. You know, it was experienced players as well. So it wasn't easy. I think, I think if, if it's a young team, maybe you, you get away, yeah? you finish, you lose that game. We, we, we were able to cope with those 15, 20 minutes. And then we relaxed it. And we played very well the second half. I think we didn't deserve to go into the extra time, but football finals. Little things attract me. Can you remember, it's part to Prance, there are 42,000 people there. The Arsenal fans are very noisy. Could you hear the Zaragoza fans? Well, the, the, especially in the beginning, because for us it was a, the only final, the only and only one. <laughs> so they were very excited. Um, I, I think... It was a moment that the Arsenal fans that come out is when they score the equalise. At that moment, Arsenal thought, OK, here we're going to win the game. Uh, then in extra time, the image that I got before Naeem goal is our fans celebrating. Celebrating the 1-1 one, one that we got to penalties. But it's only our fans singing, the Zaragoza fans, you know, thinking, OK, we got you here, now we got to penalties. Because it's minute 120. Yeah, no, listen, it's, it's incredible. The goal is... It's, it's, it's not going to be nothing like that one. It's not going to repeat. I think the part the Prince should put something behind that goal. They say, Naeem, <laughs> score a goal in here in 119, 50 seconds from the halfway line. And they don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yes, it's, I, I, I was probably taking a penalty. I don't even know. Naeem was playing the left in the, at the end of the game. But because... We're going to go to penalties. The manager decides to put Heli in the 118. <laughs> Heli comes on. Heli. Yeah. So Heli has to go to the left, which means that Nayin has to come to the right. And then it's a goal kick. And I try to flick it, and Adam kick the ball and give it to Nayin's chest, sorry, and it goes bam. So it drops, this, it, 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 it's in the air. It should be penalties. You can see and hear your fans, it's dropping onto Nayin's chest. Just five, maybe six, seven meters. Past halfway line. Into Arsenal's half. Yeah, into Arsenal's half. And he's now on the right of the Right pitch. side, yeah, five, as well, six metres from the touchline. Gus, free time. Freeze time. 
Me, freeze I, time. Me, I, Where are yeah, you? What yeah, are you thinking? Me, when it, when he chested, I, I was just coming out of the jump because I jumped with someone in the middle of the park and the ball went past and Adams headed out. So I'm turning to see what Nayem is going to do. Simple. He got the ball control in front of him, just bouncing. And when he hit there, it, it like everything, it's incredible, but it's true. It's like everything is stopped. You only see the ball fly. And the ball fly, and you see him and go backwards. You know, I don't know how it is. It's a second, two seconds, I don't know. But it looks forever because you want the ball to go in and you don't want Simon to save it, but you don't know. And when he touches in the net, no, 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 I, I cannot, no, there is no explanation. No, it's impossible. Uh, you will never see a goal celebrated so badly. Everybody run anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because normally you run all together or, I don't know, you have something. No, it's terrible. The, the coach gets into the pitch. I got a cramp. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's crazy because it's unexpected. Um, just for people to know, which is nice. Two days later, we go to La Romareda, a stadium of Zaragoza. We get a bolich. We put ourselves in the same position. But in La Romareda, not the part of the Prince. Nobody there. We just bounce the ball and try to hit Naim thing. We probably hit it 50. I can tell you, no one went that close to the crossbar in the second post and the way that Naim hit it. Yeah, there were a few goals there, bouncing before or bouncing just in or bending a little bit. We missed the goal by 20 meters, but no one from 50 shots without pressure went in at that moment <laughs> and that was you want to talk about football we flew home the day after we went to the Romareda we got changed and we got in a bus unfortunately it was not an open bus at that time and we went into the main square in Zaragoza which is in front of uh, the Basilica del Pilar and Pilar you know I accept whatever number you want you know people say 100,000 people say 250,000 it doesn't matter. What I can tell you is it was no one space in that square in every single road going up and side and left. It was the whole city down in there. We were in a balcony in the council. Uh, is how many people you can make happy with a game of football. Vito Fernandez, the manager, defined that and uh, trying to translate it to English like the biggest social movement in the history of Zaragoza. We're kind of lucky in that um, we have supporters, sponsors called Bet365. Bet365 want to know who is, or mm. if you want to go who are, who's the best player you've managed? I, I, I had to pick one that even if I was not, not the main coach, the manager, I see him every day and I enjoy it every second, which is Modric. At uh, Spurs? At Spurs. He's capable of doing things so easy. His stability, the way the balance the way he can go either way, the way he makes decisions to go past or to stop, the way he sees football, how open and how calm he's on the ball, how much he can run. Uh, it was really, really impressive. Every day, day in, day out. Every single day he will do things in training that we say he's top. So when he went to Madrid, it was not a surprise for me. You will pass the ball to Modric in a very difficult situation and he will get away because he understands the game, understands the position and he will do the right thing at the right time. With others, they will panic and block themselves or, or hurry up and lose it or whatever, make a mistake. He was so 
confident and calm in his ability to make the opposition go the wrong way. He's a typical guy that is in front of you. He will do something that you will go one way, he will go the other. Mm. Facing you or back to you. And, and going forward or, or going backward, stopping. So he got that balance and that ability to go either way mm. at any time. I, I was really pleased when he won the best player of the world. I was, uh, I was pleased because he confirmed what I'm saying to you. I'm, yeah. I'm looking in there in 2008, 2008 and I'm thinking, this guy is really special. He's different. He's unique. And uh, I'm pleased for him. He had a great, great year. Our sponsors, Bet365, have got a nice, simple question. Yes. You scored some absolute screamers for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Which goal was your favourite? I, I picked two because they are the same games. My favourite with Chelsea were the two I scored against Newcastle in the semi-final at the FA Cup at Wembley. Yeah, I don't go with the Real Madrid. I should because it's the a The 1-0 in the Super Cup. Because it's a final. But for me, Wembley, the old Wembley was so special. Why? It was a unique stadium. Unique. It was no one like Wembley. The pitch was probably the best I ever played in my life in terms of grass. It was outstanding. And when you were able to play a final at Wembley and walk from behind, behind the goal to the red carpet in the middle, those three minutes, anyone can pay for that because that <laughs> they are amazing three minutes. Uh, and being able to, to score at that and that pitch in an important game for us to make us win it after because having Roberto Di Matteo in your team he will always score in finals like Drogba uh, it was uh, it was my moment yes those are the ones you've you've chosen and, and you win that cup final against Aston Villa mm-hmm. uh, with the early goal what, what do you take from the Chelsea experience do you think most about the cup final against the current German managers, Stuttgart, Joachim Lowe was the coach. They, they had fantastic players. Some Franco Zola's left on the bench. You win. Do you think about the... I was at that game. I was at 5-0 against Manchester United, the most remarkable United performance I've seen. Give us the things that stick with you most about the Chelsea experience. Luca, Vicenza, the 3-1 win... Robbie Di Matteo sat in the seat that you're in and saying that when he went off that game or he, he, he was so tense he had to walk out of the stadium and walk down the Fulham Road just to go home because he couldn't bear it anymore and didn't know the result till he got home against well, Vicenza. Well, that, that's a special moment for me and I'm pleased that Robbie said that because I was coming back from my injury, I, my crucial ligament. It was five months and a half. I was nearly ready uh, and I was trying to come back but I had a, a little bit of time during the weekend. And then Robbie suspended, if I'm not wrong, and Dan Petrescu yeah. would get ill the night before. So Gianluca kind of <laughs> pushed me. <laughs> like I said, OK, it's your time. And his I, first game? His first game in charge? First game? Luca's first game as well? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking if I'm going to last. OK? Now, because we were losing, we lost 1-0 at Vicenza, and we started losing 1-0 at home. We needed to score three. Uh, Luca made a few changes at halftime and that was it I was staying the whole game on the pitch no you don't imagine how I finished a game I couldn't move for three days it was like you never play football and then one day you need to play a semi-final and you give everything probably one of the games at Stamford Bridge the biggest atmosphere that you can ever see because at that Chelsea side not the one that won the Champions League and the league 
to reach a European final, it was something unique. And the way we turned things around. Who scored the goals? Me? <laughs> <laughs> Me, Gianfranco, and, and, and Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes, incredible goalie. Mark. Um, I, th- I think to define what happened to me in Chelsea and uh, being totally honest and without pleas for a second try to be arrogant, for, for me it was too easy to play for Chelsea. My ability in that team, it was like a, a piece in the, in the puzzle, you know, like uh, it's perfect, that, the shape, pack. It's like if, if you had to put someone to do something in a team, it was the perfect place. Because you can go to a team and something doesn't work and... Nobody knows why. And, and I was able to play left side. If you ask me when I was in Zaragoza, you're going to Chelsea, but you're going to play in a 4-4-2 left, I would say to you, no chance. And then I played left three years or four years without any problem because we have a way of playing and understanding. And Graham Leso, Baba Yaro, coming and overlapping me, giving me the chance to go in the middle, giving me the freedom to get in the box. Uh, I remember Robbie and Matteo telling me many times, stay wide, stay wide. I said, I gotta play wide. I need to come in the middle. But I was, choosing, I was pleased to be in the tunnel looking around. I, I will always define things, no? Uh, one, when I see Dan Petrescu, Robbie and Matteo, Dennis Wise, and me, the four across midfield, I knew we had a chance. It was like we had a, an understanding with Petrescu, Di Matteo, and Wisey that it was incredible. We had a little bit of everything. And then when you have Zola, which make you a better player because it's so good that you become a better player then it was that feeling of every game eh? it didn't matter where we had the feeling that we were able to win it yeah it did hurt you know win the Premier League we were so close but we were missing something I think incredible what I'm going to say we play so nice football mm. that we miss it a little bit that the bad side of the consistency if you know what I mean that the ugly one nil away from home in a Monday night uh, raining in the north of England. We didn't have that side, and that's what we were missing. But the rest, we play incredible football and really enjoyable one. I don't think anybody who's listening to this finds it hard to understand why you make the Chelsea fans love you. <laughs> you um, exude the enjoyment of a life in football. Uh, you're one of the treasures of world football, and it's only left for me to say, Viva Uruguay. Thank you very much. Gracias. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.